Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Boink Radio Podcast, your one-stop shop for all Boink and science English in the past week. I'm your host, Jay Ringo, joined as always by the delightful debutante from Down Under, Delta. Hey, that was pretty- it snowed here the other day. Did it really? <laughs> not supposed to snow in Australia. Uh, that- yeah, it did up in the Blue Mountains, but the Blue Mountains aren't that high. So Wow, that's... Well, anyway, this week we are talking. We are talking about Boink results, how they happen, where they come from, and some cool things that Boink has done in the past. Uh, and as always, we are joined by a, a fun audience here in the Discord. Everyone is welcome to join us every Friday at 5 p.m. EST or EDT. I don't know Eastern Time Zone, guys, uh, on the Boink ABT. Network Discord. <laughs> what, what is ABT? Australian Boink time? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. <laughs> but yes, join us here on the Boink Network Discord every Friday, uh, and you can join with a mic or in the text chat, um, and you know, have some fun, whatever. Oh man. Okay, so Delta's got to tell us about his tea. But before I even we, we even get to that, we've got some some drinks in the chat. We've got this week we have rum going. We've got red wine going. Uh, I'm drinking very limey water, as some would say, overly limed. Uh, we you gotta- can say that it's overly. <laughs> I can, and it is. So if I, you hear me smacking my lips throughout this podcast, I apologize. Blame the water. Uh, what else we got in here? Someone's drinking coffee. Uh, very exciting chat this week. Very exciting beverages. So yeah, Delta, what tea you have? Because we all know you're going to top okay. us with all our, our lame alcoholic okay. and non-alcoholic beverages. Now, if I were to tell you that I'm drinking Japanese GMC Sencha, would you say that this is a pretty complex tea? Like it has lots of stuff in it? I, I wouldn't have a guess, but I would guess that the G stands for geisha. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you'd expect like a Japanese GMC censure and like GMC would stand for something complex and censure and all stuff like that. But no, all it is is just green tea and rice. Rice? Rice. It tastes like I'm drinking popcorn. It's unsettling. Do you want a lime? <laughs> no, I think if you put a lime in this or a lemon in there, it'd, it'd ruin the taste. And I'm glad I didn't put one of my lemons in it because it would have tasted, instead of honey popcorn, it would taste like honey lemon popcorn. So does it have rice in it or does it taste like rice? Yeah, it has rice. It has um, rice and popped rice, apparently. So at the end of it, do you have like a cup of rice you get to eat? No, 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 no. It's, it's in the tea bag. Okay, all right. I'll see all if right. I can show you. <laughs> Got to be careful not to spill it anyway. That's the tea bag. There you go. Oh, fancy's metal one. Yep. Reusable. Huh. Well, you did one up. All of us here. I mean, maybe someone's drinking rice in the rum because uh, <laughs> why not? You know, it's 2020 quarantine. What are you going to do? <laughs> Puff says sacrilege. Uh, my apologies. You only put ice in that. I know. Wait, do you even ice rum? You ice whiskey. I don't drink rum. It's the, the... I'm supposed to know because I'm Australian, <laughs> but I don't. Mm. Apparently you do ice rum. Okay. Noted. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, do we have anything else to share? I mean, I've been power washing things all week. I've just been looking forward to talking about Boink and science. So I think we're just going to get into the main show, yeah? All right. News this week, pretty brief. And so we'll get into the main thing pretty quickly here. But... Starting off with the big news that we've been saying every week, there's no Boink Workshop this year. Don't go to Germany September 7th. Uh, still send respects to the Wreckingcraft team for putting the uh, the workshop together, even putting themselves out there to do it. Uh, but COVID uh, has done its thing, and there is no workshop this year. Although it does seem like we're going to be putting together a virtual workshop. We're getting some people um, 
volunteering their time to help organize it. Uh, so, you know, it's May. It's the end of May now. Maybe we'll get something together by the fall. That would be pretty cool. If you want to help put that together, it's going to be a large team effort from everyone. We got to figure out what we want to do, how we want to do it, how we can even do it with this virtual stuff. And uh, what type of, of placards Delta is going to be putting in that, that one classroom with a 360-degree camera. So <laughs> come on into the Discord, uh, come on into the Discord, rather, and, and let, let us know you want to help out. We'll uh, add you to the chat. Uh, or, you know, if you don't have Discord, feel free to reach out on Twitter uh, at Boink Network or email us at boink.network at gmail.com. Uh, otherwise, you know, keep an eye out. Moving on from that, Open Pandemics from World Community Grid, and we will say again, because it's kind of cool, is up and running. And the main thing, so when you, you crunch World Community Grid and you get Open Pandemic tasks, you are helping fight uh, the coronavirus and also future pandemics. So you're going to help uh, sort of fine-tune their software and, and their, their applications and you know help them fill the toolbox uh, that they want to dish out every time a pandemic, every time, next time a pandemic comes out. Uh, because you know people are kind of guessing that this thing is going to happen a little more, uh, a little more often moving forward. Instead of once every hundred years, maybe once every twenty years, once every thirty years, even once every fifty years, it's kind of like a huge, huge jump in frequency. So it is best to be prepared. And hey, if there isn't one, you're still doing foundational science when it comes to, to viruses. And like we like to say, I don't have a, a saying there, but foundational science is very important. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone could come out with a saying there, let me know, please. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Boink Pentathlon is over. Thank you, everyone, for participating. And thank you to SETI at or SETI.Germany for putting this thing together. I'm just realizing now that SETI is in their name, and it's kind of like a flashback to uh, to when SETI was a project you could crunch all that months ago. Rest in peace. <laughs> the final standing. Oh, rest in pulsa. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Final standings for the Pentathlon are as follows, starting from 10th place and working our way towards first. We'll start with 13th place, just for Delta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> starting in 13th place is Boink Australia, dropping Yay. from 12th place. <laughs> 12th place, overclock.net, uh, followed by Ukraine, just the team Ukraine. What a great name. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's probably not as funny as I think it is. 10th <laughs> place, Hard OCP, 9th, Wrecking Craft, followed by Lay Lions, Francophone, Dutch Power Cows, Linus Tech Tips Team, Czech National Team, 4th place, SETI Germany, and the top three in 3rd place, Planet 3D. Now, 2nd place, Team A and Tech, and in the 1st place, <clears throat> And in the first place, winning the entire Boink Pentathlon overall standings, the Scottish Boink team coming out of nowhere. What or the coming world? out of Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. What a surprise. <laughs> a surprise win coming out of Scotland. A very real, beautiful place. What prize did they get? What did they win? Uh, their, their name is highlighted in gold on the standings page. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there are any physical pages or prizes. Uh, <laughs> Come says honor in the chat, and I agree. <laughs> Maybe we'll put something together for him next year. I don't know. It seems like Boink is getting a little more co uh, cohesive. Uh, it's it's coagulating, if you will. <laughs> So maybe we'll have something to we'll be able to help out next year with the pentathlon. But it's pretty cool. Congratulations to all the teams and everyone contributing to the pentathlon. They they won honor and you know science that they got done. 
over these past uh, weeks. Uh, and then we got two more news items, and we're just going to get into the main topic. Uh, Delta, you got these two ones. One's from GPU Grid, one's from uh, SETI at home. Yep. Uh, so I think it was last week we mentioned that uh, GPU Grid finished one of their largest uh, batches of work units. And uh, it was only a couple days ago that they re- they, re- they refilled the task queue. And they have a bunch of GPU uh, work units ready to go now. So if you're crunching GPU grid and you're waiting to get some work units, they've got some more up now. And hopefully they'll last for a little bit longer. They're still doing the MDAD work units. Uh, It stands for molecular dynamics something. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so they, GPU grid has some more tasks up for that. And there's some news from SETI at home that while the project is in hibernation, they are working on improving the algorithms. Uh, It's probably a bit too technical to go into the details of it, but they are looking at certain algorithms that they are running on their work units and seeing whether they can make them more efficient. And so they've got a group of independent experts, apparently, to come in and check it out. So uh, hopefully, if SETI at home comes back ever, um, they will be... They, they will have such uh, much more efficient algorithms. Uh, That's and really cool. We can probably find more aliens. More? More than zero. <laughs> <laughs> yep, more than zero. <laughs> that's really cool, though. So that gives me hope that they will actually be coming back. And, and, and that's wonderful. Because SETI at home, hmm. as we gushed about uh, over, I don't know, during our four part tribute to the project, is the thing that kind of started it all here at Boink. Uh, so it'd be cool to have them come back. And that's also pretty neat that they're they're tweaking their algorithms. Huh. Huh. That's, a, that's a gem of a news item there. And uh, this last one, I think, is going to uh, lead us into the main topic here, talking about results um, coming out of Einstein at home. And I, what, what the heck is this? What's this mean? <laughs> Delta? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, uh, some Einstein at Home results were recently published in a paper that was examining um, some, I think it was some supernova remnants, if I'm not mistaken, and seeing if they produced some gravitational waves. And so what they were doing is they used all the data that they, I think, crunched twice, if I'm not mistaken. So they, they ran over the data twice, just to be sure, and they included the data in this paper. And so they are searching for pretty much just gravitational waves and they were featured in a paper. So uh, I haven't read the paper personally, uh, but hopefully some of the results that are in there are actually cited from the people who actually crunched them. That'd be cool. We were talking a little bit about that last week, uh, kind of giving credit to people who contribute to your results, um, the people being the crunchers here. A lot of this science uh, is very, very important and very difficult to do without a distributed computer uh, or or infrastructure like Boink. You know, you'd be sitting in line at a uh, supercomputer or at your or cluster for ages. Sitting in, line, sitting in line at a supercomputer, just sitting in the hallway with <laughs> your laptop saying, oh man, this guy's taken forever. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, face masks, six feet apart, everyone in line, keeping it safe. Getting your supercomputing cycle rations. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are with this giant supercomputer, Boink, letting people do, or enabling people, rather, to do this science without having to, to sit in the hallway. Where I imagine, you know, the conditions aren't great. There's probably not even chairs or, like, air conditioning. But, hey, it's cool. It, it's it, It'll be interesting to see if they actually do cite Boink or any crunchers. Or uh, what I've seen projects do, and I think it was GPU Grid that did this most recently, is they'll say they'll cite Boink crunchers just in general. And they'll just mention in the citation the name of the work units that were crunched that had to do with this paper or whatever paper. 
And uh, that's kind of good enough because then you as a person get to say, I crunched those work units and here's the official citation saying I helped write this paper, so to speak. Because otherwise, you know, you could get like thousands of contributors to a paper and uh, citing each of them is going to be a hassle. (laughs) Yeah, and the projects keep track of which work units were crunched by which computers who are owned by which person. So having those links there. Yeah, yeah. So if you crunch a work unit, uh, and you actually finish some Boink work, you can go on to the Boink project site and you can see exactly what you crunched, how long it took, how many credits you're awarded, who else was crunching it, and pretty much everything there. So it's it's uh, makes it quite easy for researchers to include them as citations in publications. Cool, 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 cool. All right, so what's this got to do with the 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 whole main thing we're talking about today? Yeah, so I have a little activity um, that involves the audience uh, to show exactly how Boink sort of does validation. So if I'd ask for you, Jay Ringo, and a couple of other people, if you're able to put on your microphones or go into the chat, uh, just uh, if, if you, if you want to have a crack at um, the little activity that I have here, uh, just say me or yes in the chat and uh, we can we can <laughs> we can do it okay um, it doesn't matter if you're on microphone or in the chat but you just have to be quick enough that's the only thing oh man i knew all these years of practicing micro would pay off you guys ready <laughs> pro game okay, and no calculators too okay the point of this is to not have uh, calculators it doesn't matter if you get it right or wrong and that's that's the purpose of this entire activity so we have one two three um okay so uh, I think three should be enough. Um, can we get one more person? Anyone else? Looks like Tal's going to jump in. Oh, Mike's in. Okay, All right. Mike's in. Okay. And Tal. Okay. So now um, now for each of you, um, I'm going to say a mathematical equation. So it's probably going to be a multiplication. And within three seconds, you have to give me an answer. Please don't 12. use a calculator. <laughs> because uh, please don't use a calculator because I want to demonstrate some um, how uh, Boink actually makes results. And even if you get it wrong, it doesn't matter. Okay, it's going to be something that you probably can't do in your head in three seconds, but you're going to have to guess it. Okay, you all ready? <laughs> do it. Okay, so within three seconds after I finish saying the equation, you have to type what you think the answer is. Okay, the equation is 123 times four. One, two, three. Okay, perfect. <laughs> All right, um, Tal was a bit late, but <laughs> it's all right. Okay, we have a bunch of things. Okay, so we have uh, Jeringa put in 59. No, no, it's 590. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jeringa put in 590. Uh, Comes put in 520. Mike put in uh, 492. Toastone uh, put in 397. And Sackpop put in 550. So what I'm going to do is I'll calculate it for you. One, two, three times four uh, is actually equal to 492, which Mike was correct. So Mike, good job. Clap for Mike. <laughs> okay. Um, it's okay if <laughs> if one of you used a calculator, but uh, with the rest of you, uh, it's very interesting. So what we'll do is we'll take the average of all of them. So 520 plus 590 plus 492 plus three. Uh, 97 plus 550, and then divide that by how many results we've got? One, two, four, five. Divide that by five. Okay, we get 509. So that's about 20 off ish. Um, but that's the point. So we have 509 when we should have got 492. Now, this is sort of how most 
Um, this is sort of how Blink projects work, but it's it more relates to sort of how other volunteer science projects work and generally how science works, um, much like Zooniverse.org. So in Zooniverse.org, you'll have lots of people contributing to one project and giving results. And what you'd do is you'd probably have about 100 different results from different people. You'd take the average of them and then the scientists will say, okay, is that average correct to a good degree? And so they'll judge whether there's enough results to say that, yeah, yeah, that's probably the answer. Otherwise, they'll say it's it's indeterminate. So they, they will say, oh, that result's bad, so we'll just chuck it out. And so that's one way that uh, results are actually va uh, validated. But because we work with Boink, and Boink works with computers, we don't really need to do that sort of validation. With Boink, it's a whole different uh, ball game because you have people running computers. Computers are quite accurate. Uh, with the mild exception of hardware, and we can talk about that a bit later. But with Boink, when you complete a work unit, there's probably at least one other person who's crunching it. And with some projects, there's only one person, which is reasonable. Like, for example, the monkey on a typewriter's goofy X-grid. It's probably only one person running the work unit because the validity, val validity of it doesn't exactly matter because you're just putting in random data. But with most Boink projects that produce pretty detailed science and accurate results like Rosetta, um, even stuff that, uh, that relies on people's lives. So uh, stuff like Rosetta, Einstein at Home, SETI, G uh, GPU Grid, all those sorts of things, they usually double up on the work units with different computers. The reason for that is because some computers can produce different results for some reason. It could be because of the hardware, like I said. It could be because of a network error. It could be because of corruption. It could be because someone has maybe rigged the Boink client on their computer and they decided to start crunching something completely different. And so that's why we need multiple different computers validating a single Boink work unit in order to ensure that there is validity and the results are actually correct. So where's the, the averaging come in with a Boink uh, work unit or with a Boink result? Uh, I said before, it's not exactly with Boink, but it sort of shows how it works. It's more or less with the human projects. So the like Zooniverse.org, where you go on and use your brain power to actually figure it out. That's where averages are more or less um, best used. But with Boink, um, sometimes, sometimes Boink does actually use averages, but mostly it's just two people do the exact same work, check if it's the same, and a presto, it's valid. Gotcha. Cool. Zach Pops asking, uh, what about something like DHEP, which is the Distri Distributed Hardware Evolution Project, really cool project, uh, where it's about evolution rather than validating results. Are they still validating each other? Uh, well, I do not know the technicals of it, but to explain what DHEP is for those who don't know, it's Distributed Hardware Evolution Protocol or project. And uh, it, its aim as a Boink project was, and unfortunately it's dead now, um, rest in peace. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the point of it was to create hardware that's self-checking. And so computers would run evolutionary algorithms, so genetic algorithms, to try and create better and better and better and better hardware. These are one of the types of projects, like I was saying before, like uh, sort of like Goofy X Grid, where there doesn't need to be validation. It's better to have a wide range of different and a diverse range of different results in order to pick the best one from it. Um, I do not, uh, th there has been speculation that um, it is possible to fake results. I don't know any technicals of how they actually validated it, but as far as I know and I've seen, there weren't any bad results. 
Um, so yeah, they they did pretty well. Cool. And just because I, I have the opportunity here, I'm going to jump in with Star Trek because DHAP was building the Enterprise. So in the, <laughs> with the yep. with the Enterprise <laughs> sort of. in uh, or like future hardware or just an example you use all the time with DHAP is um, like medical devices. You don't want that stuff to fail. And in uh, Star Trek, there's actually a line from good old Geordi LaForge. Uh, reading Rainbow, et cetera, et cetera. Who, and he says that the, the Enterprise is actually 90-some-odd percent automated, and we just give it input every once in a while, and the rest of it is programming and hardware. And uh, when something breaks, it's hard to tell what breaks, and that's their problem in that episode. They don't know what the heck is going on. But what you, what you need to have a system that's mostly hardware and software that... Uh, basically keeps people alive so medical devices or like a starship right uh is hardware that will when it's failing tell you that it's failing and before you fix it try to compensate for the failure until you get around to fixing it so maybe it changes uh, a logic gate if i understand correctly or, or or the circuit shifts or you know reroute power maybe whatever so <laughs> like, yeah. that's why dhep was so cool and so easy to get excited about uh, yeah, so they, they worked mainly off of logic in order to fix any sorts of errors. Uh, so it wasn't actually actively changing the circuit as it came into an error. It's just, oh, they, they had an extra little circuit around the circuit in order to actually just ensure that it can't possibly error at all. So it's entirely possible to make that. Yeah, and the the, the, the great example, the less fantastical example than a starship is a medical device if you have a pacemaker or some implanted medical device you want to be told that your thing is failing and have it still function until you can go in and get it fixed right yeah and it sort of extends to a lot of boink projects too in the sense that we want to make a paper we want to publish some sort of science we want to show people our science we want to show people our discoveries so if you want to do that and with the rigor of science you need to have some sort of validation behind it to ensure that the results you're actually getting are actually truthful and they are correct and accurate and so that's why we saw uh, Einstein at home not only just uh, and also SETI at one point I think too not only um, just uh, not only crunch two work units at the same time for two different computers to validate it but also go over that data one more time to just triple, like sort of triple or quadruple check that the work was actually correct. Cool, cool, cool. So I'm going to bring up uh, one stat here, and then there's a discussion going on in the chat that I think is is really important to bring in here. Uh, but Mike G, Mike G says uh, an interesting statistic from PrimeGrid: uh, between two and six percent of math calculations of PrimeGrid type projects have hardware errors in validating the results. So that's not insignificant. Six percent uh, can be invalidated just by a hardware error. So that's something screwing up with your chip while you're crunching a work unit. Yep, that could be a number of things. It could be anything from the very, very, very rare occasion that a cosmic ray hits a portion of your RAM <laughs> and flips one of the bits from a one to a zero or a zero to a one. No, it's always that six percent, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It could also be just something in the platform that you're running that just is not compatible at all. So, for example, if you most Windows platforms are pretty good with it, but if you're running Linux, because there's so many different flavors of Linux, it's usually hard for um, projects to actually cater for them sometimes. So, if you're running maybe a very weird distribution of Linux, 
it may be possible that the library that you compiled or the, the library that's installed on your computer to run the program is maybe compiling correctly. It's compiled in a different way that the programs didn't expect. It, it's probably might not exist, stuff like that. Another issue might also be with the GPUs because GPUs are quite diverse too, and it's very hard making GPU projects for Boink project uh, for uh, sorry, and it's very hard to make GPU tasks uh, for Boink projects as we've discussed before. Uh, so it's hard not only to make them but to also maintain them and ensure the compatibility into the future. And sometimes GPUs themselves also have issues. Like, I don't know if sometimes someone in here maybe has had an issue in the past where they've loaded up their computer and it's just a whole bunch of like pixels like smudged across the screen. Wait, it's I know I've had that one that? time. <laughs> um, it, it depends. Sometimes it does it uh, accidentally. Like, I remember the first time I tried Ubuntu, it happened to me. So sometimes GPUs themselves can have errors too. And that's where we get most of the hardware errors that actually come from Boink projects. Mike G adds, uh, it's often overclocking as well. So if you push your oh, hardware yeah, over sorry, the limits, that one. <laughs> you're going to... Yeah. Uh, we, we talked about that a little bit last week too. Uh, no, that was... Those was with Kiska's uh, rig of the week, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I they so. overclocked, and they were like, ah, oh, most of the work units are invalid anyway. <laughs> it's a yeah, shame. and uh, to explain that, um, for those of you that don't know what overclocking is, it's basically where you you push your computer more than it was manufactured. For. So usually with most computers, you can overclock it a little bit. Um, but if you try and uh, some of them, if you overclock a little bit, it just won't work. So um, if you push it past manufacturer specifications, you obviously void your warranty. <laughs> Uh, but also, you run the risk of having computational errors. So because the CPU or GPU, if you overclock it, is running faster than it's used to, some of the program features might not work correctly or as you expect them to work. And it might overtake memory operations, for example. So uh, if it might be waiting for memory too long, it might drop the memory packet or whatever, something crazy like that. So with overclocking comes possible errors and so that's another place where it is if the cpu is running too fast for what it's for to catch up with the data then obviously you're going to get some sort of corruption and yeah so that overclocking does give some errors and for those of you that are out there running overclocked boink rigs make sure it's not getting too hot and i hope you know what you're doing <laughs> uh okay so the the other comment i wanted to bring in here uh is, is a little back and forth going on uh, Nusi says, are we not wasting 50% of Boink's computing power when every project has to be run twice? And I think we should talk about that. And Sackpop uh, responds, uh, I guess this response, I don't really know. Uh, it seems like uh, evolutionary algorithms might be a better way to utilize uh, computing power rather than waste 50% of computing power to Nusi's point. Potentially more projects should be coded in that way. So let, let's talk about the, the double checking. Does it really waste, is it a waste to double check stuff? And then let's talk about evolutionary algorithms a little bit. Well, so, if it's if it's a waste to double check stuff, then why does science exist? Most most scientific <laughs> papers, most publications do double, triple check everything. It's the it's the role of science and the purpose of science to go in, double check, make sure it's accurate, ensure it's accurate, so that we can use this knowledge as foundation for future science. So even if there is double checking, it's still doing its purpose. And I do agree that it does seem a little bit wasteful that pretty much half of the power is just going to running the same thing twice. Yeah, and, and the way I rationalize it is, like, if you're running a project that's going to, uh, like, make really cool solar panels and you double-check it 
and you get better results because you double checked it, well, you you just got rid of the energy problem in the first place. So what's the matter? Like I, I think there's it's a it's a give and take and. Uh, when you're dealing with people, like other people are talking in the chat here, you're going to deal with cheaters and there's there's no way around it. Or even if you're just dealing with the hardware failures and the, the, the small, well, the small but not insignificant percentages of just wrong work units, uh, two to 6% is... That's uh, that would not fly <laughs> in a scientific experiment. You can't have that margin of error. So I don't know. Waste, it's it's inconvenient, uh, but I wouldn't call it a waste. But at the same time, what is this evolutionary algorithm magic? Well, just before we go into that, it's it's the art of distribution and decentralization where it, it comes re- with redundancies. Uh, in science, as I said just before, those redundancies sometimes are good. And so with point projects, that redundancy of having stuff double or triple checked even is is good most of the time. Uh, and that's just the one downside of distribution and decentralization. If we had a supercomputer, a centralized computer, we can run what we want on it and we can trust that the results that we get from there are good because we know that the supercomputer itself is pretty good. And maybe even even scientists will probably double and triple check their work on the yeah. supercomputer just to be sure that it is actually correct. So. Because even with that statement, like, didn't we just recently discover that one of the fundamental, like, a fundamental principle uh, was based on this, like, like a scientific principle from the early 1900s was based on this guy who read it in an article that quoted some random guy on the street. And then that got worked into all the the science moving forward and turns out, well, he wasn't entirely accurate with it. Like, it's important (laughs) to double check everything, everything. And just because we're working with computers... Uh, doesn't change that. So in the in the lab, you have to replicate a result. Is that a waste of energy? Would you call that a waste of energy in a distributed system like Delta, like you're saying here? Like you have to double check the result. You have to replicate it uh, to make it valid. And it just happens to be directly on a computer instead of getting your energy from food to to power the scientists and, and electricity to power the lab. You're just going <laughs> the to power the, the, the hot pockets and the pizzas to power the scientists. <laughs> so you know my language. <laughs> You're just going straight to the power plant to power the computer. And, you know, you still need to power the guy who made the application. So there's still hot pockets involved because hot pockets are everywhere. Okay. But, okay, okay. What is evolutionary algorithms? Okay. So it's a method of um, getting results and it is used in certain scenarios. And it's a way that we can sort of avoid the issue of validating stuff. The reason I say sort of is because sometimes you don't need to validate it but sometimes you might want to check whether someone's faking some results, right? So for example, um, I, I'll give two examples. We, we've been using this consistently. So Goofy X Grid, which is the one where the, it's got the monkey on typewriters problem. And then we have uh, DHEP, which was the one creating the circuits through evolutionary um, programming, okay? So with evolutionary programming, um, essentially it's sort of like genetics. So each of us has DNA inside of us, and when we reproduce, we um, propagate that DNA among our offspring. It happens in the animal kingdom as well. And so computer scientists and scientists thought, well, hold on, why don't we put this into code? Maybe it might help us. And it actually does. So when we create, in the case of DHEP, a new circuit, each circuit has a big long string of DNA. And it looks pretty cool. I don't know if their site is still up and you can still see it, but it's just a big picture of like a whole bunch of little lines of, of colors. And it looks pretty cool. And so that DNA represents what's actually in the circuit. And so with that 
uh, DNA, they crunch it, they keep trying to mutate it and make it better in some way, and they sort of brute force changing and manipulating the DNA in a way that makes it a little bit better. And then sometimes it might communicate and uh, challenge another work unit on the server, grab its DNA and compete against it in some way, as DHEP says. And so that's one way we can create and do a project. And the reason why we don't need a validator is because all you need to do is just say, okay, we need 100 million different um, different DNA strands, all right? And then we'll see the top 100,000 or maybe top 100 of those DNA uh, strands or work units to see which one's the best one. So because you have so many results, you can assume that it's only going to be a small fraction, which are either erroneous or cheating in some way and you just say oh we'll just it's only two percent of it's only like what a hundred uh sorry it's only probably about a thousand or something which are not good results so the power of the crowd comes in and says yep the most of these are correct um but as for a different um project oh sorry before i go into that rewind uh with dhep it's very easy to check whether a circuit is correct. So the way that the project works is it just runs through a quick process to see whether the circuit that was actually submitted is correct. And if it is correct, it only takes like a couple seconds to check whether a circuit is correct. And if it's correct, it says, yeah, good work unit. Otherwise, no, bad work unit. Okay, but with something like Goofy XGrid, where your computer is just submitting a whole bunch of random num letters and numbers based on probably a, an initial number, it's very hard to actually validate it because you need another, you essentially need another computer to run through that whole that whole um, thing to check that the randomness was actually there. And so, um, but essentially the problem with Goofy Extra is that it's pointless. There's no real need to actually check it because it's just randomness. So there's just people pumping out randomness. So um, yeah, those, those are two types of ways that you can get away with validation. And uh, there was an explanation of genetic algorithms for you. Wait, what's an evolutionary algorithm? What does, what does oh, I mean? explained it. it was the DNA stuff. So the DNA okay. gets mutated um, as the, your, the purpose of your computer is to mutate the DNA. And then you go and check against other work units to cross, uh, you could say crossbreed the DNA. <laughs> so you can get the DNA of the other circuits and combine it with your circuit to maybe make it a little bit better. It's that sort of way of doing it. Can that be applied to other projects? Yes, it can, uh, but not every single project. Um, for example, stuff like Einstein at home, there's no real way to actually turn that into a genetic algorithm because essentially you're given a set of data and you're told, okay, does this set of data have this in it? It's those sorts of projects that can't be applied to genetic algorithms. But for stuff where it's creating new stuff, like you could probably, like last week when I was talking about my guttering project, you can make a guttering project with a genetic algorithm. You say you define the gutter with a piece of DNA. Everyone has their own gutters that they're trying to make with different DNAs and we'd want to get the best guttering system for a particular style of house. And so we all cross-check all our DNA and we try and mutate our DNA to get the best possible guttering system. And you'll find that it turns out to be what's called a logarithmic curve. So it starts going up really quickly and then it sort of dies off as uh, and becomes sort of constant as we find close to the best solution. Gotcha. Huh. Yep. Yeah, and so it's what... mostly for projects that um, don't require an absolute solution, rather a mostly correct solution. So why wouldn't people, why wouldn't we do these? It seems like, wouldn't that, isn't Zach Pop right here? Like, why Why the heck aren't we doing more uh, evolutionary genetic algorithm? They're interchangeable term, evolutionary algorithm and genetic algorithm? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, why aren't we, 
why aren't people programming more of those if it saves energy and is, is it just one of those it's a really hard thing to do problem and we've been running these projects since 2000 and it's like we're not going to go through and rewrite all these lines of codes just for that yeah it, it brings up the same problem with uh, gpu boink applications where it is quite hard to program and to get it right there are different libraries and uh, dhep said that they programmed all their applications using particular libraries in java and uh yeah, so it's just the difficulty of actually programming. And also mainly because there aren't that, I've noticed that there aren't really that many projects that are sort of trying to build something new. Rather, they have data and they want to see whether something's in that data. So we also have that issue with Boink projects too, where most of them are just there to check some data that they have rather than trying to say, oh, we're trying to build something new. Yeah, that's a good point. Although we're starting to see more come out like DHEP, where there's... Oh, I hope there are more. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that just speaks to the young like environment that distributed computing is in. And uh, pitch of the week, guys. Hey, if you're a software engineer, this is this is what you can do right here. You can build, you can go to World Community Grid and be like, I'm going to genetically algorithmic size your GPU works. <laughs> Bring your CPUs to GPUs and genetic algorithms. Be cool like that. And there you go. You worked for science. You learned how to do this thing. And uh, yeah. That's, that's my pitch. You can even make something creative. Like uh, I know one of my friends the other day showed me something called Electric Sheep, which is a a, a different distributed computing. I talk um, about that all the time. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's, I, it I was around before Boink. <laughs> it was it was one of the first distributed computing platforms. Uh, it it's it's just a cool screensaver. Yeah. yeah, that's all it is. It's just a screensaver. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so even if you want to, uh, even if you uh, come on and actually make like an art project or something like that, or even just think of think of me like making a guttering project, it's like hey, let's let's make a project that figures out the most optimal gutter or something like that. If you if you can figure that out, it might actually turn into something. Like last week, we were talking about Boink for business. It might even turn your Boink project into a business. I like the art idea. Like uh, uh, some, some art students should go out there and do an art thesis based on uh, based on Boink and genetic algorithms. Uh, that'd be pretty cool. It's some very lovely stuff that you can do with um, programming and art. Um, I don't know if any of you watch uh, Dan Schiffman. He does some great coding art. Yeah. Let's just talk about art for the rest of the show, huh? <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> we're not in arts. We're not here for the arts. We're here for the science. Fine, fine, fine. Uh, <laughs> Zach Pop says, "I think this is too electric sheep." So that's what Android stream about. Yes, and <laughs> killing all humans. This I learned from Bender. <laughs> all right, should we talk about some actual results that came out? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, you want to start reading out a prime number? <laughs> Someone start reading out a prime number. We'll stop you when we're done. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Mike, you Mike posted one. Okay. Um, one five eight five seven eight one zero nine eight nine nine four one seven six six eight one double four one nine seven six six eight five eight, four nine, double four, three, three, two, nine, eight one nine. <laughs> um, um, let me get up one of the equations. Give me a sec. So. What these are all going to be are examples of what Boink projects have done over the years using these methods that Delta's been describing. Or describing. And most of them use the double work unit validation, the uh, just confirmation. Um, uh, because we were like, we were talking about the genetic 
algorithms seem to be fairly new. Uh, DHCP, like we keep saying, did have some results like coming in, but they lost uh, funding, so that's a shame. But yeah, and so the prime that I was just reading uh, can be in the order of millions of digits, and you can actually go into the prime. You can go into primegrid.com and actually check out their results too, and you can scroll through all of the digits. Like for example, I just found a prime number with I think it was nine million digits, um, and it's ten thousand two hundred and twenty-three. Uh, times two to the power of let's say that's uh that's thirty one million one hundred and seventy two thousand one hundred and sixty five plus one. What a wonderful result! And before we get to that's more, a we're crazy gonna crazy number. We're gonna answer comes question here because this is the best question to answer. He asks, "Is there a specific purpose for amicable numbers?" Well, yes, there is. Yes, it's highly there is. specific. <laughs> so, there is a, a locket, like a, a necklace that. Uh, you can split in half and put an M one of uh, amicable number pair on each half and give half to your significant other and keep the other half. That is the purpose of amicable number. Yep, it's a huge but, business model. Huge. <laughs> like they, they oh, have a board and that. everything. <laughs> well, They're no, that... here to take your money and sell amicable numbers. So, or, ooh, you could get one pair, one of the numbers uh, tattooed on your left arm and the other on the right arm. And when you combine them, you <laughs> create your final form. <laughs> No, you might as well just get a prime grid prime tattooed all over your body. <laughs> Nine million digits. But uh, actual answer, the, all these math projects. So someone brought up Coalesce Conjecture earlier. Amicable Numbers is a good one. All the Light and Square projects. Um, there's a whole bunch out there because there's a lot of math work you can do with distributed computing. It's built for this, essentially. Um, but they're all important. Uh, because you don't know what you're going to use the results for in the future. Uh, Golem rulers is an example that I've heard Delta explain before, and I'm going to try and restate it. Correct me if I'm wrong here. But we didn't know what the heck we were going to use this math for, and now it turns out they're using it to position satellites correctly in space. And it's, it's just from foundational math, right? Is that right? Yeah, all satellites, also radio receivers and transceivers. It's good to prevent um, distortion and stuff between them. Uh, also, to make the most optimal conference room, if you want to make the most optimal conference room. That's what I want in room. my... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's all on the Wikipedia page as well. Um, but the, the, another great thing about math projects is that it's mostly, uh, along with the creation pro, uh, pro, uh, projects like DHEP, it's great for people who want to search for stuff and then slap their name onto something. Like the prime that I was reading up before was from uh, Mike in the chat. And uh, he said that was the uh, expansion of one of the prime numbers that he found back in 2011, which was at the time the 13th largest known prime. Because people involved, it's uh, it's fairly understandable, like relatable, and, and just that it's math. Like you can go learn about Coalesce Conjecture and now you know about the Coalesce Conjecture. And at Most the end of it of the, is pretty simple. And at the end of the day, like if we're touting all the time about foundational science, basic science, well, science is kind of an evolution of math. And without math, you can't really have a lot of science. And it just to take it one more step, and someone else is going to know a lot more about this than I am. But if I understand correctly, or if I, yeah, if I understand correctly, computers are built because some person just did foundational math in the 1800s. And then, you know, they're like, hey, look at what these numbers can do. And then, you know, one led <laughs> to another, led to Dancing, another. Look at them. <laughs> I actually danced. I got to get a webcam. I was actually. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next thing you know, like 100 years later, we have a computer. 
So if no one did that foundational math, like amicable numbers, just exploring like big, really, really big amicable numbers, maybe there's a really weird thing that happens once you get to a really, really big number. Uh, if no one did that foundational math, we wouldn't have computers. So th this is where their their role comes in. It's not as tangible as something like, uh, to use another example of things that have been done with Boink, this open Zika project out of World Community Grid. It's not as tangible as finding a vaccine for, for Zika. And what the Open Zika project did is it took a data set. Uh, this is one of those projects that I was describing where it's just like, we have a bunch of data and we want to see if there's something there. It took one of those data sets of millions of different uh, drugs, essentially, and threw them at a simulation of Zika to see what would happen. And they went from millions down to 20 some odd, and they're continuing to test those 20 some odd, either in more simulations or eventually, hopefully, in a lab. And there might, there's, there's not a, how do you say this? There's not an insignificant chance that they're going to find a vaccine out of that. Like, it, that's pretty cool. Zika is a pretty big deal. Um, so it's not, the math is not as tangible as a result like that, but it's still very, very, very important. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> studying computer science, I can confirm that half of the reason why computers exist is because someone said, look at these dancing numbers. <laughs> okay, the other half is money. <laughs> All right, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a wonderful way to put it. That's it. It's pretty much it. <laughs> like those those dancing monkeys where you're throwing money at it, but it's dancing numbers and you throw money at it and boom. <laughs> <laughs> and I can confirm that's how computers are manufactured. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, Mike G says, you guys are absolutely right. The big result from math projects is what we learn about how to solve these problems. That's a really good way to put it, actually. Uh, thank you for that. Um, I'm just reading this off the top here, Sackpop says, should there be an obligation of recognition for Boink whenever it, it is used to prove an algorithm or achieve a result, uh, like the Four Colors program, had, had Boink been used to solve it? Um, what do you mean an obligation of recognition for Boink? So like if a scientist uses Boink, they're, they're obligated to, to cite it or they can't publish? Like, I think that's a bit extreme. If I were Overlord, absolutely, dude. You're using... <laughs> Point to, to do your science, cite it. That's Old like praise the overlord doing. <laughs> like taking, uh, not citing a Creative Commons thing or something like that. Like you're supposed to give credit where credit's due. That's just respectful. Um, but you know that's not the way the world works. Unfortunately, uh, it would be ideal if people would cite it. And I think a lot of the lack of citations in the past is just like you know, point hasn't really been put together. <laughs> It's been a small project, really. It's huge in the distributed computing world. But in the rest of the world, not a lot of people know about Boink. Uh, even in this computer engineering, software engineering world, not a lot of people know about Boink. Um, even in the science world, directly in the science world, people who would directly benefit from making a Boink project and using this infrastructure, you, you go up to them and be like, have you ever heard about Boink? It's like, what the hell are you talking about? Why did you just say that to me? So it's... <laughs> I think that's part of the problem, uh, but I, th I I think obligating it is a step too far. Delta, any uh, thoughts anyway, on it? Um, not really. I think you pretty much covered that um, pretty well. I was going to say we could move on to some other results. Like I got some Einstein at home results up here I can paste into the chat. Oh, hit me with and the pulsars. The, yeah, the pulsars, yeah. And um, the, I think they're looking for gravitational waves. So um, not I think they're looking for gravitational waves. They are looking for gravitational waves. Um, and yeah, so with Einstein at home, there's some projects that can actually release um, uh, either data sets or even graphs. And I'm about to paste a graph in the chat here, which shows 
um, the frequencies that were crunched and detected by, uh, within some signal data by computers. And uh, you can basically, uh, in, on the site itself, uh, it does actually have uh, the work unit name, number, and the users which crunched and validated it. So you can have your name slapped onto this really cool-looking graph. Much better thing to get your significant other than a star. Find yep. them a Paul. Put in the that. work. Come yeah, on. Make a big poster of that thing. That looks awesome. I'd love to have that in my room. You get, you put in the work, you find a pulsar, you find an amicable number pair, you get them to lock it, you name the pulsar, you're good to go. That's basically like six years of anniversaries. So <laughs> yeah. This is really cool. So what am I looking at here? There's a really neat 3D uh, graph at the top, and then there's what looks like a spectrograph. Yeah, so it measures a spectrum of some sort. So you're looking at frequency, you're looking at a frequency graph and you're also looking, um, yeah, so you're looking at a signal that's been running over time and been collected over time. And we're analyzing the amount of uh, frequencies within a particular frequency band. So in the 3D graph, you can see that there are very, like, uh, very clear chopped up pieces of the graph, which means that uh, it looks like about three or four frequencies there. And the key thing is that we found uh, frequencies within a very, very clear and very signified and um, deterministic area, which shows that it either came from some sort of astronomical phenomenon or even a gravitational wave. Uh, there is a paper associated with it, I think, and but I I I can't really tell you. It's really technical. But what we're seeing here is basically there was background noise, and then something stood out. Something very specific stood out from that background noise. Ah, it's a pulsar. Yeah, it's a pulsar. Yeah, I love so these. You're looking things. at a pulsar there. Can they be cute? Can pulsars be cute? I know I say everything's cute, but there's these little stars spinning around real quick, really dense. Yeah, they're pretty good. They're pretty. <laughs> they're pretty that's, good. That's, that's as good as I could have hoped for. <laughs> All right, cool, cool, cool. That's Einstein at home. Uh, ClimatePrediction.net uh, does some pretty cool stuff. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can have like solid results. I that you can probably go find some papers on the methods they use, but they predict climates through um, just massive distributed computing. So uh, neat. Very neat, I suppose. Uh, one definite result from them would be climate models. So it's not really something as tangible that you can maybe print out on a poster and put up in your room, but rather they might be publishing papers that say we've developed this climate model and we're using this model to predict this. Um, and your Boink's name or um, Boink contribution might go into the citations of the publication. So with climate prediction, it's not as tangible. Like, I mean, they might produce a paper that has like a big sort of timeline of some stuff or maybe it might even have a big snapshot of the entire earth at one point so it um i don't i don't run climate prediction that much um i i did do a project brief on it and as far as i know they only mainly just produce models so in the chat here we also have someone who's mentioning milky way at home uh milky way at home is a little bit interesting they moved um from dark matter to end body simulations but they are still doing dark matter as well um end body simulations are the most easy to explain how the how the data looks like and uh one of the uh, they have an example of a simulation on their website uh, under the science um, page and it shows a stream of stars i think or a stream yeah a stream of stars from a galaxy and i think if i'm not mistaken it's colliding with another galaxy and so this is what's called an n body simulation so what the n means is there's some number of bodies which are galactic bodies such as stars or planets 
and they're interacting with each other gravitationally. So with Milky Way at home, lots of their stuff are simulation. And so after you get the simulations finished, you can actually show them in some sort of video like I've posted here. And uh, they also do dark matter as well. Their results, um, as with most astronomical projects, most of their results are highly technical. So it's either going to be in a paper or it's going to look like the one that we posted with Einstein at home where it's in some sort of funky graph looking thing. Uh, I know there's a lot of papers at my university which they hang up onto the walls and it does look pretty technical and some of them are related to dark matter and I, I can tell you that it's not really eye candy that I <laughs> like what I posted just now. Cool. Uh, another one coming out of World Community Grid uh, and their clean energy project uh, has to do with solar panels. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but what they did is they took basically exactly what they did for Zika, except with solar energy, solar panels. So they took a bunch of chemicals and simulated their combination and simulated their interaction with sunlight and determined which ones seemed like they would be best for better like more efficient and le less expensive uh, chemical combinations for solar panels. That's a pretty tangible freaking result right there. How cool is that? Uh, yeah, and we've talked about uh, medical results a lot on um, on this podcast. And uh, we uh, mainly, the, the thing that we say pretty much every time is that we take billions of possibilities, nail it down to a couple thousand, and then nail that thousand down to a couple hundred or maybe even a ten or so. And so it's the purpose of bringing down the results from that and giving those 10 or so or 100 results to the scientists to actually test in the lab. And the actual tangible results of that are mainly, again, papers. <laughs> so uh, I think you're mentioning the accessibility of science before, and it really is not that accessible for the volunteer crunchers. And uh, at least that's what uh, we're trying to make it at least a little bit more accessible for the crunchers here. And we hope that maybe in the future that scientists themselves can actually show results in a more tangible and understandable way for the general public. That would be a dream come true. Can you imagine just people understanding science more? I mean, think about <laughs> it. Do you, do, you trust, do you trust your mechanic when you don't know how a car works or, or, or do you trust them more when you know a little bit about how a car works? Like, If you know a little bit about how it works, it's going to be harder to convince you that um, a, a, a carburetor uh, causes cancer right like is it's a whole new world when you educate people uh another question sorry did you want to add to that oh yeah i was gonna say with people who um understand or at least see the eye candy of science like what i just posted with milky way um people do get encouraged to look into it further and we i think we've skipped a generation of um kids being interested in science because i remember even i think i was watching an episode of the big bang theory or something where they were talking about Professor Proton back in the day, um, uh, encouraging all the kids with science. And we've lost Bill Nye. He's, he's grown too old for it. Um, and I think we're just missing that one science communicator to give that next generation the push into the science fields. Because if we don't have science, we don't have innovation. So it, it's really it's really important that people still are interested in science. We should have a whole episode on this because like, I just want to talk about it now. Because like, I think it's more dangerous and complex than that. It's not that we don't have the person doing it. We don't have the, the societal will or drive to move forward. And when you don't have science like in the day-to-day, the -day, like I was saying, it lets people be convinced that science is bad. That, um, yeah, I'll just it lets people believe that hey, there's some bad science. Haven't you seen the different evil sciences? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Frankenstein. It, it makes it very, when you don't understand science, if you've never been exposed to it, you never got excited about anything scientific. It's very easy to think that, to be convinced that vaccines are evil or that, that, that all this stuff that's going on, because you, you're you not connected to the science at all. So it's, why why would you trust that, that dude in a white coat? Why would you, know? you trust Boink? Right. But you'll, it's the same thing with the car, man. So many times I'll go to a mechanic and like, they, they better explain to me a little bit about what is wrong with the car. Or I'm just like, why would I trust that you're not just telling me things that are broken so you can make money? Like, it's almost the exact same thing, but okay. This is why we should have a whole episode on that. <laughs> so yeah, I think we'll save that for a different episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, Cypop is raising the question about like open data um, uh, to what degree and, and this is going to be the last question here as we hit like about an hour here. But he says, to what degree are the results open for the scientific community to use? Uh, what he means is, is a, if a researcher or yeah, if a researcher from a university uses Boink to find results in a certain medical field, would other universities be able to use the results to pursue their own research and potentially come up with vaccines? Or does it uh, get locked in through IP? We actually talked a lot about this last week, did we? I'm not quite sure. It's either last week or the week before having to do with open data and everything. Uh, I think we did mention it last week. And also the open access episode with Rosetta or with um, um, Folding at Home. But let, let's touch uh, on it. Probably. Yeah. I don't know what the actual answer is. I don't know which projects keep their results to themselves. No one's under ob- any obligation to do one or the other, to follow open data principles or not. Um, but I think a lot of the people involved with Boink on the project side follow open principles, open source, open data, et cetera, open access. Um, so for example, World Community Grid and their Open Pandemics project, they, they use the word open a lot in the results or in their projects. And I hope it's for a reason. Uh, <laughs> they said with their Open Pandemics project that all their tools and I think the results are going to be open to the to the world and the you know the business rationale behind that is yeah release the the tools for everyone to use and and then build a product to stand by the thing you don't need to hold the knowledge back and profit off of the the holding of knowledge that's just evil and otherwise there's no innovation exactly it's just not going to be society acceptable for long we hope um and it, it seems to be the business world seems to be leaning towards open principles and you can see it how major corporations who were the 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 poster child for proprietary software are now getting into the open source world it it's just like it's the, it's the green future of technology the open movement so to speak so there's hope that all projects coming uh, moving forward are going to use open data principles and let people innovate let people do cool stuff with the knowledge build a product go ahead and sell it but the data is it, it's knowledge knowledge is only knowledge and so much is shared right so share it if anyone has any more information on how open data works or what projects do with the results do reach out to us boink.network at gmail.com because this is a fascinating field uh i'm very much interested in so i just want to learn more about it uh, Delta, you have any other thoughts on the, the the data or the results that projects use, or how projects use the results? No, I think we've covered a big, broad range of product uh, projects. Like we've done maths, we've shown how math uh, results work, we've shown how medical results work, we've shown how astrophysics results work, uh, and we've also talked about uh, DHEP's results um, and a bit of climate prediction too. I've got a good uh, one. I don't think, are there any other categories of projects out there? Well, th- there's a critical one. There's one project out there whose results keep uh, the world from falling into a black hole. 
and that's LHC. It's a big track project, right? It's big, yeah. <laughs> they make sure that the, the uh, particles don't hit the edge of the tunnel or the tube, if you will, and blow everything up. So that's very tangible. <laughs> yeah. Well, otherwise, yeah, I think we covered uh, most of the different fields here. Cool. Yeah. Then we'll wrap it up here. We will uh, catch you guys next week uh, where maybe we'll be talking about social responsibility or, or in the sciences or any of these open principles and education. Um, I think that would be a pretty fun topic, but maybe not. Maybe something will come up and feel free to give us uh, things you want us to ramble on about. You can tweet at us again at Boink Network. <laughs> you can uh, sh- uh, give us the tag or just talk to us in the Discord or again, email us at boink.network at gmail.com. Uh, otherwise, join us next week, Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern time right, here on the Boink Network Discord. We'll see you then. Oh, man, that's a lot of lime. I might regret my decision here. (laughs) Oh, jeez.